Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Grind, the Overwatch Contenders podcast. I'm the host, Promise. I'm a European Contenders coach. I'm gonna start with my introduction, I guess. Um, I've coached Young and Beautiful in Contenders Season 1 and Season 2. I've been a player in Open Beta and the Season 1 of Overwatch. Got benched eventually as a player, transitioned into a coaching <laughs> position and stuck with that. And currently I'm not with Young and Beautiful anymore. I'm currently looking for a team and looking into signed offers right now. So do you want to go next, Lucky Mojo? Yes, I'm the co-host today. Uh, I'm also from Europe. I'm the current manager of Bazooka Puppies. And yes, yeah, I said, my name is Lucky Mojo. I just recently joined Overwatch. I was uh, formerly a Dota player, caster, analyst, whatever you want. I, I pretty much did all of it. And like for half a year or something, I'm now in Overwatch managing Bazooka Puppies. And well, yeah, I'm kind of looking for opportunities too, but I'm still the manager of Bazooka Puppies too. And yeah, let's come to our guests. Uh, hello, I'm Wallace. I am the team manager slash translator for Fusion University, one of the NA contenders teams and previous season one champion. And um, basically before Overwatch, I was just a regular college student, but still I was very involved with esports and was just a huge part of the Hearthstone community and Smash Brothers, and then I transitioned into Overwatch when it kind of became the big thing. And then before Fusion University, I worked with, I kind of volunteered to work with the Renegades team and um, Mosaic slash Six Snakes. I was doing a bit of translating work for them. And this is where I am now. I am with the best NA contenders team, Fusion <laughs> University. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Iosux, you want to take yes. it? Yes, my name is um, Iosux. I coach uh, XL2 Academy in the NA Contenders League. Uh, I coached some teams before. Um, we weren't super good, but apparently good enough to get you know picked up by Academy. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're so we're humble. also a pretty good team, I would say gonna be a, a close close finals match against fusion i think they're decent kind of um but we have more koreans and uh <laughs> we have the highest uh, symmetra win percentage in the contenders how many times so did i think once enough <laughs> enough it's to, enough. enough to be yeah. a percentage enough. Don't, don't get into details we want to keep this story short okay, right? okay. Uh, <laughs> and i think yeah you know that's me Yes. The team right. with more Koreans on the roster. Yes. And the Symmetra players. And the Symmetra players. That's why you win. You know what they say? Mm -hmm. Quality over quantity. So that, that's just what I want to mm -hmm. say. It's a very fair argument. I'll take that. I love it. I love it. We're already, <laughs> we're already seeing two finalists going at each other right now. I love it. But let, let's do it for later. Let's jump okay. right into the first topic, which is kind of sharing your experience on the journey on the path of pro i'm sure everyone started somewhere at some point i've been in the scene for two years now so i'm actually interested where you started off what kind of the teams were that you transitioned in between and how long it actually took you to get signed to an academy team i don't know how okay you want to go first you wanna okay i'll go first so as i mentioned in my introduction i worked with uh, Renegades 
and it was a open division team that got into trials and I was just doing a lot of translating work for them because they it was at one point a full Korean roster plus Louie so I was doing a lot of translating work for them and then I transitioned from that to working for working slash volunteering for Mosaic slash Six Snakes to translate and since they had a Korean coach with all English speaking roster. I was doing that for a little bit. And then it took me about three months to get in contact with Fusion and they signed me to become their translator. Later after Arrow got picked up by Dallas Fuel, I became the team manager. And now I do more of scheduling, taking care of players and just just the regular managerial duties that everybody seemed to love slash hate. I handle all of that. And on top of that, I do a lot of translating work, and that's how I transitioned in this field. So I might actually ask, sorry for interrupting, but generally esports, you were already talking about Hearthstone and Super Smash, which, by the way, I really find cool. I don't, I've never actually met someone who comes from that, and I love that esports. But how did you even get started in the eSport? That would also be pretty interesting for some people. I like just, seeing how you like got into everything. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people in this industry, they grew up playing games. You know, like, there's a joke that, like, everybody says, like, if you can walk and you're Korean, like, you're handed a computer. <laughs> like, I, I'm not kidding you. I started playing StarCraft slash Diablo when my dad got us our very first computer, which was in like 2001. I was in first grade. I start playing, I, was, I start grinding. And then like, ever since then, I was just like very big on esports, and I always wanted to pursue a career in this field. But it's just, because of that, like I was very interested from the beginning. I transitioned from being very academically strict on myself and I got to college and I was like, I'm, I'm going to have fun and join the esports team. And I started working with the Hearthstone division slash Smash Brothers division. And like we did like collegiate tournaments and stuff. And that was just like a lot of fun for me. And I saw that esports, this industry has like a lot of potential and becoming like one of the biggest business fields the current stage so i'm just wondering since you pretty much it sounded like you transitioned from <coughs> not being in the overwatch scene to actually getting signed to an academy team was rather fast mm -hmm. compared to other managers because i, I yeah. know people that have been in the scene since open beta or even closed beta and they are not signed to an academy team so i said mm -hmm. because you offer that kind of translation work <coughs> which maybe makes you more attractive for teams to be picked up definitely yeah i mean like let's be honest this is a this is a pretty like korean dominant esports field like mm -hmm. compared to any other esports uh divisions so me being able to speak korean fluently really enabled me to succeed at a very faster pace than the other succeed at a faster pace than the other people in this industry so how long are we talking right now? You said you started working with Renegades, which is an open division team. When was that, roughly? That was January. So and January. Then I was okay. brought on to Fusion mid-March. 
So yeah. Okay, that's a really fast transition. It's a yeah. really fast transition. But the thing is that like I have the ability to translate Overwatch terminologies and I do VOD mm. review like with coaches. I can fluently talk to my Korean players and let them know like, oh, this is what Coach Arrow wants you to do in this situation. Um mm, okay. like it's that's like where me and just like a regular translator are different because I have the Overwatch knowledge. I've played it for like two years so far. It's not as long as like a lot of people have played, but like I've been loving like streams and like tournaments. So like I know like all these terminologies and I'm able to explain to Korean slash English speaking players like fluently and have them understand. So I think that was like one of the biggest like assets to me. What do you think from your past experiences in esports? What do you think helped you the most getting into Overwatch? Like how like it's a very different esport to what you've been practicing before. What do you think helped you the most getting into? Like what what do you think? What kind of traits are important to get into an esport? So, so Hearthstone and both Hearthstone and uh, Smash Brothers Melee, I've played a fuck ton, like a lot. Like I'll spend days and nights just playing just grinding and like that's what happened with me and overwatch too like i just really like assimilated myself into that environment of like oh i want to learn this game like everything about this game so i had that mindset with both hearthstone and smash brothers and i think that helped me transition into overwatch and carry that mindset over to overwatch since it was like the thing you know a couple years ago like the very first like fps game that was like holy holy crap like this is like the game like it's so fun like it's so team interactive so like i kind of carry that oh i want to study this game as like a subject mindset into overwatch and i think that helped me really get the position that i'm in right now cool so maybe we jump over to Icelux. You started out as a YouTuber before and eventually Monk decided shake. to uh-huh. transition into a coaching position and eventually ended up on Exo2 Academy. Mm. What was like the kind of deciding moment for you when you went from, hey, I'm doing YouTube videos to, hey, maybe I actually want to coach this game competitively? Uh, well, I guess I think I need to start why I even started making YouTube videos. Um, so I went to university back then, which was great although i was kind of bad at it um <laughs> and i School i was i was i was on a on a team that I, I i was like super enthusiastic about overwatch so just like pretty much during beta i tried to create a team um and i i met like a bunch of like really good people on there and and one of the people on the team he was like he's he's swedish so he was always complaining about how garbage everyone else was and he like jokingly Swedish said, Whoa. And, he, and he said, you know, this game is garbage. Like maybe I should do YouTube videos to like fix people. And then it, it kind of turned into a bet almost where like we would both create YouTube channels. Um, I think you might be able to figure out that I won that bet. <laughs> uh, so I do you want to give a shout out to your friend? It. Uh, he's he's remind like him growling it, and I don't think he like actually ever made a video or anything. He just kind of <laughs> gave up. Um, but he's a, he's a good guy. He's a he's a good player as well, kind of. 
Um, <laughs> kind of. So, kind of. I, I I used Reddit and they like liked it, and then I made more videos and Reddit liked it even more. <laughs> uh, and then someone you know in the comments was like, "You make nice videos. Can I give you money?" And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like that was kind of no. foreshadowing, almost. Um, but I didn't just want to like take money because I would feel kind of homeless. So I was like, okay, I I'll take your money, but in return, you have to get coached by me. So I started the Patreon and I offered coaching for people who gave me money. And it kind of just grew and more people wanted it. And then I had to like get on a different website, but that website was garbage. And then I had to create my own website and it was pretty good. Um, and while I was doing that, I figured, okay, you know, telling platinum players that, you know, standing on high ground is a good idea. It gets kind of boring after a while. So I started looking into teams and I joined Lucker Dogs, which was my first, I guess, competitive team. And it's very interesting because I actually had like a lot of, I guess, offers <coughs> from like multiple teams. And uh, one of the offers was actually from uh, a fellow German called uh, Immortal, who's currently at uh, Gamescom. He like asked me to coach his team. Uh, but I guess I kind of knew that, like, I, I couldn't really do my private coaching and, like, coach a European team at the same time because it would conflict with the time zone. So I joined Lucker Dogs. Uh, we played games, and then we got picked up by Panda Gaming, which was not good because it's one of those orgs that doesn't pay you. So you're kind of just a marketing billboard. Um, but yeah, so, like, I, I stuck with them, and then I joined, like, some more teams in between um, until most recently I joined Flow. And with, with Flow, we got, like, decently far. Not as far as we'd liked. Like, we got to open playoffs, but we kind of fed super hard. Um, and then I, I, I kind of, like, I was pretty close to giving up. Not, like, super give up, but, like, at least take a break. But then, and this is actually great. So I, so I still did my private coaching in order to, like, buy bread and deodorant. And <laughs> I, I got a session. The two essentials. With, with, with yes. With with someone called uh, Fuchsia, like the color Fuchsia. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, and, that's and he was like, you know, are you okay with me recording this session? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, do your thing. And then at at the end of the session, like he he was a decent player. I think he was GM something like four point two k ish or something. And uh, he was like, yo, I, I I know someone. Can I can I like send this to to that person, right? And I'm like, whatever, yes, if you want to. <laughs> And uh, then, like two two hours later, uh, it turns out that the that the person that he sent the vote to was uh, Kita, who was the coach for XL2 Academy during season one. So she she liked the private coaching session that I did with it with that guy Fuchsia, and she was like, "Do you want to trial?" And it's actually very interesting because during that period, XL2 was having tryouts already, and they tried like fifty people or something. I actually don't know, like a lot of people. Uh, but I wasn't invited because I'm garbage. Until I got that, um, until I got you know that connection. Uh, so I was, I guess, the fifty fifty one first person in that in that tryout, <laughs> and uh, I I did pretty well. I I don't want to mention any names, but I outperformed like a lot of people. You guys might know, which was pretty sick. Um, I only didn't outperform one person that they ended up taking, but then that person got picked up by Al. And, you know, then they were like, hey, you're our second best, I guess. Do you want to, like, come in again? So I, I, I kept on I, I kept on trialing uh, for, for them. And then they were like, you know, 
nice, you know, we, we kind of want you. Um, but then during that same time, an, a, another team was also like, hey, we kind of want you. And I, I, I'm not sure if I'm like allowed to talk about what the second team was. I'm just going to keep it to myself to like stay safe. But like they were pretty like two high profile teams. And then it kind of got like back and forth. And uh, in the end, clearly, XL2 was the superior team in every single facet. So I had to go with them. Actually, no, it was pretty, like, it was very, very close choice, too. It could have gone either way. Um, but I just felt that, like, I like the tryout that I had with XL2 was longer, whereas the tryout I had with the other team was very short. It was only, like, for a day. Uh, so I just figured that, oh, okay, the contender season is starting. I'm just going to go with the team that I've worked with, you know, for longer. And then I got paid. Great. Yay! Yay! Money is good. Money is great. Spend it all on potatoes. <laughs> That's been really interesting. <laughs> starting off of YouTube, actually, like, uh, I think you had a good time of starting with YouTube because when when I <clears throat> sorry when did you exactly start with your YouTube videos? Um, September twenty sixteen. Oh, so very early. I guess yes. I guess that's always the bonus if you start off early, especially with something like YouTube and the scene doesn't even have anything like coaching or something, and you're yeah. just like making the best content at that moment. Especially using a platform like Reddit, I think that was a pretty like pretty good idea, pretty good thing to do. I guess that's one one way to start off, nice. to show yourself, to present yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's like always what I recommend to like other coaches as well. Um, that like you need to figure out how you can kind of create a platform to show off your skills. Like it's not just enough to like be a good coach and like tell others that you're a good coach. It's always a good idea to kind of like show people like to to like create something that you can give. To to kind of show them like hey i know how to like i know how to talk i know how to communicate i know how to like create stuff that's you know helpful to people um and like all of that actually i didn't expect it but like when i was writing my resume for xl2 uh like they, they actually told me i should like put my private coaching and like my youtube stuff in there because it does actually like make a difference and it does actually make it look better which i didn't expect so would you say there's uh advantage in the platform you choose because there's always the multiple ways you can kind of present yourself because i'm i'm coming from a standpoint i've been pretty much only grinding coaching i've never like been in content production at all would you say there's like mm -hmm. i mean jane went the twitch way you made mainly like twitch streams you went the youtube way there's a lot of analysts trying their the way of like posting on reddit would you say there's like an advantage in the platform you choose i think I personally think that video content has a slight edge over written content because written uh, because uh, if people can hear your voice and they can hear you talk about the topic, I think that tells them a little bit more about how you're going to function in a team. Whereas with written content, for all they know, you could have gone over that like 50 times to make it sound super, super perfect, right? So I think video content has the edge. Um, however, if you want to reach as many people as possible and you want to get you know upvotes on Reddit, Usually written content has an easier time because people are like, especially like they browse Reddit on their phones most of the time. Um, so a lot of people kind of hesitate clicking on a YouTube video. And even if they save it, they usually don't bother watching it afterwards. So if you want to reach as many people, then like written content is usually better, um, which is why I actually did a mix of the two. So a while back, I did some like work from my portfolio. Um, and I did both. I had like an hour-long video where I went over the map like visually, but I also had the the transcript of that analysis like mm, okay. available as well, so people kind of had the choice, which is like very time-consuming, but I think that's like the optimal way to build your portfolio. Yeah, 
So they have like something special prepared for you while doing your tryouts, or we're just like sitting there and like just telling people like, well, maybe do something like this, maybe do something like that. Pretty much, actually... they just they just told me to like come in, do my thing. Like I was free to do whatever I wanted, pretty much. Um, and like uh, promise actually like kind of gave me some advice, I guess, like to be like more German and more dominant <laughs> uh, which Whoa. actually worked really really well because with, with the Korean work ethic uh, you can't show that you're like unconfident or anything when you're working with with Koreans and I guess like people like Nene for example they've worked with very very high profile coaches before so if they even get like a glimpse of a feeling that you are confident in what you're saying they're like not going to listen to you and they're not going to like you so it, it forces you to be like very direct. And like that's what I did during my tryout. And I think that's kind of what gave me the edge in the end. Because like out of all of the trials, like I knew the other people trialing because screenshots got leaked. And like some of them had like so much more like contenders experience and stuff than me. Um but apparently they just like what they just weren't, I guess a good fit for most of the players on that team because mm-hmm. the players on XL2 are really just looking for like raw direct feedback like they pretty much just want you to i guess it's almost like masochistic i guess they really want you to you know tell them what what they're doing wrong and how they're garbage and why they're garbage and all of that yeah from my experience the higher profile players you work with the more (coughs) direct and blunt feedback they want from you like they don't want you to kind of make it sound nice they just want you to break it down to basically actionable points for them to work on so I just realized yeah, they don't want you to like sugar quote like sugarcoat it at all. Sure, like yeah. they just want you to just like, hey, your deflect right here was absolute shit. And they're like, all right, cool, we won't do it again. Like just like things like that. I as such just like saw right through it, like higher profile like players. Like Nene's been in Apex and like he was on Lunatic High and like who are you? Like he is like hands down like it's a very subjective view, but like he is like one of the best like Gendis in the world. He yes, yes. doesn't like any like beating around the bush feedbacks. He just like wants it, or like he just doesn't want any like feedbacks at all because he wants to figure it out himself. Mm-hmm. The playing ranked or just like in scrims. So like there are like two definite cases of like Korean players. Yeah, I think that's like the major difference between lower tier players just starting out in their competitive career and these experienced veteran players that have been playing in contenders or apex or whatever tournament for such a long time they just they just want you to be very blunt with them direct mm-hmm. uh just one more question uh sucks would you say that a coach should rather go the content production way and should rather try to build a portfolio that way instead of actually coaching teams? Or would you say that you should kind of make a mix out of them or should you just do it my way? Like I've been coaching for two years now. I've never went into that direction. I think you need to do a mix. You shouldn't just do content creation. That's really bad because content creation doesn't teach you how to like actually be a coach. I think only content creation works for an analyst maybe, but like for a coach, you need to actually work Mm -hmm in a team environment to learn how it works, I guess. Um, you still have to do some content just to kind of have something to present like as a portfolio or just like so that people kind of start knowing your name. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the main focus should always be actually coaching teams because that's when you make connections to other 
you know, players to other staff members that you can kind of network with, and you get actual experience working on a team and trying to fix it. Okay, cool. I also have one question, and that's something that we kind of mentioned already: the pressure. Like, you're a guy who's been traveling for pretty much like lower tier teams, and then you get into a team like XL2. And then you have all mm -hmm. these stars, like you have all these great players. And there's two sides of the middle. Like, first of all, you did you feel a pressure while trying to coach these famous known people? They might might even have more experience, no more than you. And on the all the all the, the other side, how how's, how does it feel with the players? Like, do they, do they actually like? It, do they accept you? Do they do they? You know that the pressure of like both sides having this coach, and you actually have to listen to him because he's working. As the coach now, they've decided for him and also for you, like trying to coach a person who might know more than you. How, how, do, how does this relationship work? Um, regarding nervousness, I actually, like a long while back, like this was before academy teams were even like properly set, like for season one, uh, I actually got messaged regarding like, I'm, I don't know if it was a Houston Outlaws or Optic Academy, but either one. <laughs> And like I was, I was pretty much offered like a trial by someone from their org, and like the trial kind of got blown off, eventually because a certain someone likes ghosting people. Um, but I, I was actually like so nervous when I when I got that message because he was just like, "Do you have PTR installed?" And I'm like, "I mean, yeah, sure." And he's like, "Okay, be online in 15 minutes while you're having scrims, right?" And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and so, so I had to get out of my bed, and and I actually like vomited because i was so nervous because of the tryout like i was super super anxious um with xl2 it was it wasn't as bad but it was still pretty bad like i, I got like very very nauseous just because of like mm -hmm. like there's so much stress because it's something that you think about like getting trialed by, by an academy team but it's not something that you actually like really know what it feels like until you you're like 10 minutes before your trial is whole new world so it, it got easier as the trial progressed because you kind of get used to the people a bit more. Um, and yeah, regarding like the players being more experienced, I mean, yeah, that's like definitely a factor. And I think that's something that I personally have to work on because there are situations where uh, it's like very hard to be confident in what you're saying because there is the chance that, you know, some of the players might disagree just because they have more experience. And like having good report with the players and them trusting you is very important. So it's it's kind of this like kind of the stretch because if you're if you're overconfident then you might end up saying something that they'll disagree with and you're like very stern by that opinion. Um, but if you're a little more flexible and uh, more flexible and like you're more willing to work around the players, uh, you need to you know maybe you don't seem as confident. The players might not listen to you as. So I think it's like kind of difficult, uh, but it gets better over time. I think the biggest struggle with XL2 has been not being at the team house with the actual team. Because like mm -hmm. it's kind of disconnected when everyone is at the team house and here's six thousand miles across the across the globe. Um, and the time zones. Yeah. Yes, it's a it's like two p.m. in Los Angeles almost, and it's like what eleven p.m. in 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 Germany. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. It's 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 kind of it's it's very tough, but hopefully, uh, I, I get I'll have my visa interview soon. By the time this is uploaded, I'll I might honestly even be in like America already. To be honest. We're very close to it. See you, Germany. Yes, true Germany. Yeah, I remember one I... player saying to me that he just doesn't try for any teams anymore because he just wants to see the sun once in a while because the time zone difference is that bad. Yeah, sun you is know. pretty great. It's hard. 
Like when I was in Korea doing management work for like however long I've been with Fusion, like the time difference was so like drastic. Like I would have to wake up at like 5.30 in the morning or like four in the morning. And then like, I couldn't like function. Like I will do VOD review, do scrims and talk to the players afterwards. And I'll just sleep through the whole day and I'll wake up at night. Like it just kind of like messed with your like just livelihood almost just being apart in like apart from NA. Like it just like that kind of like we get the short end of the stick, you know, like EU and like Korea and like other regions, like any staff members, like coaches, Mm -hmm. managers, like we get the short end of the stick if we like want to like work for an NA team, you know, that kind of blows. How long did the visa process for both of you take? Like you in America right now and ISDAX is going to hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Like how long... Wallace, you can start. Wallace, oh my God, your name. Wallace, <laughs> well, you can go first. Wallace, yeah. Uh, your name is harder than hers, man. Come on. ISDAX. I mean, my name is very, <laughs> exactly. see, like it's very in- intuitive. It looks a little dumb, but it's intuitive. But like, I, when I like first saw Wallace. your name, I was like, how how is Wallace any more difficult than Iostax? It is can, much more. Can, can you do can you do us a favor and explain us again why your name is Iostax? <laughs> well, yeah, so I studied computer science for a whole semester, which makes me the most, <laughs> oh, uh, which makes me the <laughs> IT specialist in here. You know, uh-huh. been there, done that too. Debatable. And uh, and uh, so IO you might have heard IO means uh, input output. Um, and uh, Stux is uh, actually like a, 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 I think it's Russian or like Soviet or something, uh, computer virus that like pretty much overclocked the factory and kind of destroyed it. Um, and I thought it sounded cool, to be honest. I, I was watching, like IDDQD, to be honest, to this day is still kind of the player that got me into esports a lot because I was watching a stream back then. Um, and I thought his name was really, really cool. And when I was making, I'm behind my pop first. You like and, IDDQD? Yes, I still like him, dude. He's a he's a he's a, he's a good lad. Um, and like I mean, the the, the name, not the player. I, I yeah, I, I like the I like the name because I, I like the <gasps> well, name. I was like, I don't like, care. ID, like I just think, like I don't know. I like names that I, don't, I like. And then I was like, you know, I want a cool name too. And like I remember actually very fondly, I was watching like a Counter Strike tournament, and like they were playing on train, and I was just thinking about you know what would be a you know a cool name. So I kind of like I, at first I wanted to call myself like instead of Io Stux, I wanted to call myself Io Kane. But then I figured out that that's like a drug, apparently. What? <laughs> I didn't want to call myself Hurricane. Um, and then, you know, I just searched for like famous computer viruses because I figured it would fit to the IO, but all of them were kind of like, they sounded like super lame. Um, but Stuxnet was like one that sounded pretty decent. I chose Stux. IO Stux. Stux. All right. IO Stux. In- input and output some virus. Well, yes, let's just right. wrap the first topic up with you answering my question of how long did the visa process take for you? How long did you <laughs> yes, have yes, to... Yes, yes, I'm very sorry. Um, no, it's, it's cool. My visa process started in early... I don't even know, dude. July? Yeah, I think early ju- July. Yeah, yeah, early July. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, and it's been like, been like going since then. It's like very slow. Um, on the 17th this month, the petition... So the way a visa works is first you need to go to the USCIS. You need to file a peti- petition. 
to like so that you're even allowed to like apply for uh, visas. That's like something you only have to do once, and after that you have to like apply for the visa once you're like once you have the petition accepted approved. So I have my petition approved, which means like I won't have to do that like ever again from now on, as far as I know. Um, but now I need to like actually apply for the visa. So uh, I have my uh, appointment. Like you need to do a little interview where they just ask you some basic questions. Um, and I have that this Monday, Hopefully which basic. is going to be uh, great. Um, and, and needless to say, it's very unfortunate because um, the German U.S. consulate it doesn't really go by a very Los Angeles uh, time time scale. So uh, I'm going to be a little ineffective during scrims because I kind of need to, you know, go to a consulate oh, okay. at like yeah. 3 a.m. You know, LA time. Um, but yeah, after that, it'll take like a week, and then I have my visa. I already talked to Blizzard. Um, I'm pretty sure I can say this. I don't, I don't think like they they have anything against it, but um, there are like already like I have a ticket for the contenders finals, and they're already like taking care of a flight and a hotel. Oh, cool! Should be good. How helpful was Blizzard or Excel too while the visa process? Like, um, do they actually do something? Actually, yeah. So so Blizzard pretty much the only thing that Blizzard had to do is like write like letter letters of like recommendation or whatever it's called uh, i don't know it's like a it, anyways where they explain what the overwatch league is and like why they need me pretty much uh and nyxl was actually very very helpful so they got like you know the the little law firm that kind of handled the whole process and i didn't really have to do anything except sign a few documents send them some pictures etc and like they pretty much did most of it. like it was surprisingly easy although again tedious. yeah Right. Yeah. Um, it's your turn, Wallace. Uh, for me, it's been going for a very long time. It's I want to say, I want to say May, and like I don't, I'm not sure if I'm like allowed to like expose any of this like information. But like, let's say like it's been going since May, early May, and like we're through it because there are a little a little hiccups here and there because like iostox has a lot like this is how visa like this visa works and how to get your petition approved like if you have a record of like if you can prove that you are a coach uh, with a lot of experience and if you can prove that you're a player with a lot of tournament experiences and just like experience if mm -hmm. you can provide them with like oh, here is my portfolio or slash resume of, like, me participating in this industry. And it's fairly easy, which Iostux has a lot of that since he's been, like, involved since 2016. But since I transitioned into the industry very quickly, like, three months, let's just say it, three months, and then I got on Fusion. So, like, it's just taking a bit of time. And, I mean, I'm not really sweating it. Just another hiccup. I'm sure I can get through it. Cool. Then let's just hop yeah. into topic number two, which is the differences in playstyle in the playoffs that we just saw that were concluded or more or less concluded with the final matches now coming up. As we saw, that European meta didn't really change much for us. We didn't really experiment too much with Hammond being introduced, the Sombra changes being introduced, and NA. We were kind of memeing about it in Europe that we were just calling NA compositions mystery hero compositions that you just go into the match and just <laughs> click on a random hero and that's what 
comes up and then you just roll with it. So I would just wanted to hear your opinion on the differences in playstyle and why you think NA was experimenting a little bit more than Europe was. Wallace, maybe? Uh, you can go first. Okay, cool. I, I can, I'll go first. Uh, I think, you know, like you guys meme about how like, oh, NA, like mystery hero comps, but like we, like NA people, like NA teams joke about how Europeans only are able to play tanks. Like, guys, I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you eventually saw it. You guys don't know what fucking high ground. Shout out to radio, so, like, so like that's that's just like both regions like going at each other. But I think it's because I don't know. I I don't like when players like my players specifically like flame European compositions and like European teams for like just sticking to tank heavy comms. I think tank compositions take as much mechanical skills and brain power as, as much as dive but with dive which na seems to more favor and try out we can do dive with a lot of different characters so that's why we see these like mystery hero compositions and i think both regions have their like pros and cons like I mean, one of my favorite European teams is Giganti, and they play the shit out of tank comms. Like, they're amazing, in my opinion. And, like, when we're in Poland, we're scrimming against uh, Giganti, and we just hit a wall. We're like, this is where NA dive style ends. Giganti just, like, stomped on us. Like, we're like, how do we play against tanks? Like, <laughs> you know? So, like... I think the whole like argument of like oh like EU sucks NA sucks is just kind of dumb like I mean that happens in every game yeah it's it's, it's so friendly it's like, what's like t oh it like went above and beyond like friendly venture like in my opinion after British Hurricane won against Fusion like oh, yeah, it was cool. like. It was like an explosion of EU in my face. I was like, but that, that was a special case. That final match was basically EU has been working so hard for two years to prove themselves in Overwatch for two years, and I felt like everyone was just like, "Ah, whatever." EU. When we when EU won this match, it was basically EU proving like, "Yeah, we we're actually not too bad." Like you know, we we're we're not the worst region. We 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 can keep up with NA. I guess that was yeah. kind of a like that, that that's why a lot of people like all the frustration. Yeah. Inside of it's like people. all like exploded out, yeah. but yeah, I think I'm, not, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. I, I was happy too when I saw that game because I really yeah. felt like you is kind of like this region where I wish there was more support, but mm -hmm. that's not a whole nother topic. I mean, it was yeah. like double satisfying because British Hurricane as a team intentionally went into the match saying we're gonna run quad tank every single map, they wanted to prove the point of tanks being strong and tank compositions not being as like NA teams were like haha just take junk red go on high ground it's so easy but apparently mm -hmm. it wasn't that easy otherwise British Hurricane wouldn't have won that dominantly I just want to like add one thing that that event match was a bit of a joke in my opinion the way how it was set up like my players had to play a finals game yeah and literally we were given 10 minutes to rest and mm -hmm. all my players were hungry they're like we want to rest and i was i was behind the stage listening to them 
And at one point, everyone just went, I don't even want to play. Like, because yeah. <laughs> they were just so tired from, like, mm. having the adrenaline of, like, playing the finals match and then winning. And they're like, oh, fuck yeah, we won. Like, NA season one champions. And then, like, they won it and, like, played 10 minutes. And everyone mm. was like, we're just so tired. Like, we don't want to play. Like, and then there were a lot of controversies behind playing quad tanks and classical <laughs> NAX <laughs> okay I, I just had to do that I'm sorry, I'm sorry. coming back yeah, to coming back to tank life, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Mm -hmm. coming back to tank I actually think it's like in Europe it has been discussed between teams too and I also talked to Radio Boy who's the coach of uh, Angry Titans who also likes to play tanks especially goats something that actually originated from America funny enough mm -hmm which has been abused in Europe since then. Uh, but looking back at tanks, I feel like I, I actually have an assumption. I'm not sure if it's actually true, but I think I know why Europe likes to play tanks while NA doesn't. Because if you look at tanks, playing tanks in the beginning, it's, it's a comp that you can easily play. Like getting into it, it's pretty easy. Mastering it is a whole nother question. Like mastering it is quite pretty hard because as soon as enemies start running pretty like triple DPS or anything that counters it, you have to actually play good to still do something. The enemy is good. That's why I respect like Angry Titans and Giganti who actually can play it like almost whenever. But I feel I feel like Europe has the case where Europe is a region that does not have the stability that other regions have. So basically, you start off with a composition that's easier to master, so you can win matches. And then you just realize, like, tanks actually working really well for us. Why should we ever switch? And they just keep playing and keep playing, and then you, you get better with it. I feel like NA, on the other hand, has so many people who've been established already and are playing on a high level for two years now. They just don't feel like they need to do that. Like, it's, it's not, um, let's be honest, it's not too much fun running tanks. It's not nice to watch. It's also not too fun to play. I, 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 I never played it. I can just assume it's not really too much fun to play because it limits yourself. Like, it limits your playstyle limits your like i don't think you play heroes that you actually like so that's why i kind of feel like america does not run tanks because they just have the more established players who can actually run more and don't have to run into the risk of not getting you know practice to play something else yeah i like if i'm wording this kind of harshly i want to say any players they want to be the star players a lot you know like yeah. Oh, I want to show off. I want to be, I want to get the player of the game. Like, of that sort of players, there are a lot of them because I've worked with some of them and that's just a trait they show. But European teams, what I really, really, really like, admire is that you guys really got the whole, oh, we are a team. We have to work as a team. So, if you have to sacrifice yourself and play a tank, even though you're a DPS character, like you're a DPS player, then you'll give up your DPS role and play tank. I think that's pretty cool that you guys have respect for each other to do that and like has, like you guys have really, really good teamwork and that kind of bond. A lot of players are not happy to play tanks, but they get forced to play tanks. <laughs> Yeah, but because they're like, they're not going to throw a team. I mean, they might, but they're going to do it for the team, you know? Like, yeah. So maybe... But a lot of NA players are like, I want to be the star player. 
Yeah, that's maybe like the difference in mindset. But maybe let's jump mm-hmm. over to Iostax, who is like more the coaching perspective of yeah. uh, the changes <laughs> in the meta and how NA scene kind of perceived them and implemented them. And maybe how XO2 approached the changes in the team, because I approached the changes probably completely different <laughs> than you would as a coach. So we had one week to prepare for the patch. And I guess you can put, take all of the teams and put them into one of two camps. Um, you have the te- like the I guess conservative teams that will just kind of try to see if they can use the comps that they were in previously on the previous patch and see if they still work. Like they didn't try to be like very inventive. And then you had the more creative teams, I guess, um, who said, "Okay, we have no idea how to play any of these new characters." Um, but screw it. we're just gonna, uh, you know, try it out, see if we can, uh, see if it works. Um, and instead of like trying to be super effective, they were abusing the fact that a lot of people just didn't know how to play against mm, okay. these new characters, especially with Hammond, for example. Um, no offense, I saw, I saw that Beast Halo ran a lot of Hammond, um, mm-hmm. but he was like feeding really hard. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Because I don't really think that, like, at that moment in time, anyone was not feeding on Hammond. Like, yeah. he's a he's an insanely difficult character to play. Um, and, you know, it's like a fine balance. The enemies don't know how to deal with it, but you don't know how to handle the character either. So you kind of need to hope that it works. For some teams it does, for some teams it doesn't. I definitely like that people experiment, but I feel like in the semis and the quarters that might have been a bit too early. Now with the finals coming up, we have more time to prep, so I think that people are going to be a bit more confident in what they're gonna run um i guess compared to eu and the whole myth of running tanks it's not like na doesn't run tanks and as wallace said like a big part is really that players are gonna complain um but a but a huge part of it is as well is um a lot of na teams have koreans in them and they have mm-hmm. been, you know, they've previously played in Korean contenders or in Apex, etc. So they look towards Korea to get ideas, right? If a, if 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 a, if a European team would go to an A, they would probably look back into the EU scene to kind of get their because that's what they trust, right? So Korea is just not a region that likes running a lot of tanks because tanks tank comps are comps that are easier to execute. Like, they're more consistent, pretty much. Um, but but they're also, like, more very... comfortable to play. Exactly, but they, they can mm-hmm. also be, like... So, so you don't rely on, like, a certain star player always making a play. It's just the entire team just needs to play cohesive. They need to communicate correctly together. And that adds a lot of consistency. Dive, on the other hand, has, like... It, it's, it fluctuates a, a lot more. You, if you play dive, you can feed super, super hard. And you can get shut down every blade. Every single dive gets, gets shut down. Or you mm-hmm. can just roll your way through a map but if you have players and this is like my honest opinion if mm-hmm. every single player plays perfectly he communicates with his teammates for every like if machines could play overwatch and you would just let that run for a couple of years in the end dive would 100 percent be the comp like that's in from a min maxing perspective be the optimal comp yeah right obviously mm-hmm. the reality is different right there are a lot more factors going into it so that's what people in Korea run because they want to run what's most optimal. They put a lot of practice. They have that coordination. Uh, Korean in of itself is a language that is very, very efficient in dive because of how uh, short the sentences can be. Um, so 
these Korean players, you know, they're looking over to Korea contenders. And so they bring that Korean matter, meta over to NA. They say, when I was in Korea, I played a lot of Tracer. I played a lot of Genji. Mm -hmm. And you want to, as, as a coach, it's, it's not just about the meta, but it's also about what your players are strong at, right? So you have certain coaches that just say, oh, Fusion Uni is running Samra Genji all the time. I'm going to run that too. Why not, right? But, but that doesn't work mm -hmm. um, because the players just don't fit that that profile um so i think that's the main difference between eu and na na is getting like influenced a lot by the korean scene whereas eu is is not doing that they they try to do their own thing they try to figure out how to play the game in their own way which i think is going to be very interesting um moving forward because if we look at the overwatch league and some of the teams that could be you know coming up potentially um you know, there are going to be a lot of rosters that just won't have any Korean players. And if we look at, the, you know, Florida Mayhem before they picked up, you know, people like Saya player um, and were mostly European, they were also running very, very different strats from all of the other, I guess, Overwatch League teams that did have more, you know, Korean staff or Korean players. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely interesting that you say, though, that Koreans, I mean, it's true, Koreans were predominantly dive in Korea. But we saw Runaway, for example, win yes. with a lot of tank compositions now, yes. which um, makes you kind of question. Not just tank, not just tank compositions. Goats, yeah, goats as well. Yeah. Goats is a very interesting comp because goats is a tank comp that you don't necessarily play like a tank comp. Like a lot of the co coordination that you need on goats is very similar to the coordination that you need in dive. Instead of diving on a target, you're speeding onto a target. Right. Yeah. Um, instead of like the way you use support ultimates is somewhat similar as well. Um, and with some people adding characters like Sombra or stuff into into their mm -hmm. goats, it like again adds like more a variety. Mm -hmm. And now with Anna being you know good, that's you know what a lot of teams ran in the Korean finals. Like and I remember on Oasis at the end they were just mirror comping Anna goats. Um, again, like Anna is a character that you know has like a very high skill like people can do a lot with like a good Anna is mm -hmm. really scary and can single-handedly win a team fight um so that way they could you know like they could kind of take the strength of the meta which at that time was mostly 10 comps and combine that with the high skill ceiling that they have uh or, or that they want to play at right um I don't think they're like super happy that like goats is uh good or that 10 comps in general yeah. were good during the finals um but I think that's the main reason. I don't think we see, we'll see something like Quad Tank. I don't think that's something we'll see anytime soon in Korea, though. I'm pretty sure the players wouldn't want to go in that direction. No. <laughs> Even European teams didn't really play Quad Tank anymore. They were all yeah, that's true. that's true. Quad Tank, the, the, the good old Slambulance has gotten out yeah. of favor, which I think is I think Eagle is pretty much the only team that kind of consistently still runs Quad Tank, right? From I haven't been really seeing it. But they yeah. transitioned into 3-3 as well, like mid-season eventually i remember in pit they've been running a lot of quad tanking still yeah at the beginning they were just quad tanking it all the way every single map they didn't care uh, just... i love like my, my players straight up they were just like looking at the scrims and they're like oh we're playing eagles oh, i'm just getting alcohol or something like they were they just didn't want to deal with that they knew it's gonna be two or three hours of tanks and they're like no i can't do this oh, i yes. can't do this without alcohol. <laughs> like, i cannot mid-season scrims Eagle eventually transitioned into instead of actually trying to win team fights, they would just beat boost on the objective and try to stall out for as long as they can and win maps just through stalling. They weren't even trying to win anymore. 
they were more or less just throwing like tanks at the payload hoping it would stall enough time that they would eventually win on their attack when they were defending so that sounds very exciting not gonna yeah, like. it's not exactly exciting to scrim them but i mean they beat giganti playing tank yeah that's just want to so. say like a lot of people whenever eagle was mentioned i feel like a lot of people have been a little like behind the scene like oh eagle isn't that good eagle like they're just playing tanks and all the players like they couldn't do anything else like they reached the finals and there has to be a reason if they reach the finals like, it's one of the best teams pretty much in I the didn't expect right them now to win. Like, yeah, exactly. No one did. I don't think anyone would have bet on Eagle. And if they, they managed to defeat them and they managed to come to the finals, I guess from nine, like, if they had 10 games, they would probably lose eight games. But it that, that was the one game they won. And that, that means something that, that what they're playing or what they're doing works. Even if the players, I don't want to judge, but a lot of people say that even if the players are worse, the strategy is so good and they can just use it so well as a team that works and it brought them to the final and let's let's be real that's where everyone's heading they're in the finals right now and they did what they wanted to do and that's just respectable for me like i, I can't shit talk tanks it works you know as long as it does that's why a lot like whenever people are like shit talking tank strats or goat strats or anything i'm always like as long as it works cheese cheese is a thing that if you look any like if you look other esports too league of legends dota too there's always been cheese strats you know there's like certain heroes that pick that no one expects they're usually not good but sometimes they're just so cheesy and people are like oh my god resident sleep i don't want to watch that but if it works you're obviously going to do it I mean, in the uh, end what counts is winning the match proceeding further in the tournament <laughs> what brings you the win is pretty much irrelevant in the end of the day as long as you win but another yeah. interesting thing is about tanks which it's also interesting for you guys like i actually want to ask you guys especially the coaches if you're looking if you if you're a, if you would be scouting like i guess as a coach you also have a little bit too about scouting in person if you're looking at a team like eagle or any tank team, would you actually be able to tell if a player is good could you say like okay this player is amazing playing tank but i feel like that's always the little issue of playing tanks because in the end if you're a talent scout even if someone wins with tanks i'm still not sure if the player is actually good enough to join an overwatch team because you can't just add someone if you're playing tank so like that's the biggest biggest issue cannot be scouted as a tank can you mm. you look for different things at that point it's true that if teams run mostly tank compositions scouting for dps talent especially is very difficult finding tank player is kind of the same doesn't really matter too much but dps talent is kind of drawing the short end of the stick um but in the end you would have to trial the players anyways kind of see how they perform um, and I guess instead of looking for like individual mechanics and stuff, uh, you look more for, I guess, coachability mostly. What kind of player is he? Can you know? Can you work with him? Is he eager to learn? Is he easier to work with? Is he like a vocal player? Um, for example, in my opinion, as a, as a flex DPS, it's very important that you, you know, that you don't just stay silent. Like there's a lot of stuff as a flex DPS, Genji, Farah, like a lot of scouting that you have to do. Um, so even if Genji or Farah isn't being played, you can still find out if someone has the voice and like has the communication to perform on that role once he has to. And you can also always look at, I guess, previous VODs to kind of see like from previous matches, even though they're outdated to at least get some kind of idea. But yeah, it is true that trialing DPS players um, during tank heavy metas is a bit more challenging. Yeah, I think 
it's pretty much only for the DPS role, where it's kind of hard to tell, especially if you're like looking at a flex DPS player and you see him like on Brigid the whole time, and then maybe he swaps to a Hanzo if they play triple tank Hanzo maybe, but that's pretty much all the hero pool you see from a DPS player. It's hard to tell if he can, like I wouldn't be able to tell what kind of heroes he even is able to play. But I guess for tanks and supports, it doesn't really matter too much. In the end, it's, it's, I think it's in the long run right now, it's going to hurt DPS players in getting tryouts. Because in the end, as a coach, you have a limited amount of time to build a roster. And then you kind of need to filter through players initially and kind of see, okay, he could be a good fit for a tryout that I think some DPS players will fall under the radar. I mean, to, to be fair, it also depends, right? I think like right now we're kind of assuming that people are just going to run tanks all of the time, true. which I don't think is like completely true, right? Like people are still running dive, right? And like, yeah, true. I, I would, you know, like, for example, with Fusion University, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a divey team. Like that's what they're, what, what they're good at. Um, and like, even then, like we saw in the quarterfinals and they see my pants, like people didn't just spam almost like at least in an A. Yeah, um, so I think like this is more of a hypothetical question almost, at least for an A, where if like a very, very dominant tank meta does come up again, it could be problematic. Um, but I think right now the meta isn't like perfect. I think it's a decent meta. Um, but like teams are still running dive. It's very map dependent. Sure, there are certain maps where people just run tanks. Um, but, but but dive is is still like, like, especially, like, I think the Ana buff especially has enabled, like, a lot of dive uh, compositions again, uh, which is very interesting. Um, so at least for right now, players, DPS players don't have to worry about it as much unless they are on a team that runs yeah. tanks on every single map. <laughs> and no offense, if you're a team that runs tanks on every single map, you might want to uh, talk to your coach <laughs> about <laughs> trying out something True. new. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, I think that kind of wraps up the topic pretty well, but kind of we were kind of sliding into the next topic as well, which is kind of the perception of different regions. Because obviously there's like NA versus EU shit talk. There's like some regions get dismissed completely, like South American contenders or Australian contenders. I was just wondering, what's your opinion on the perception of the matter? Because I don't want to be the salty EU coach, but NA is kind of being like glorified as the super region and like every team is playing so well together. And like if you would put a European team in NA contenders, they would get completely smashed. And if you would put a Australian contenders team into NA contenders, they wouldn't even win a map. And I was just wondering, what's your opinion on the general perception of regions right now? Maybe I think like I, I really have been like one of on that and there's really nothing it's really sad to say this but there's really nothing we can do when it comes to just our tier two scene like being very very split and like you mentioned na is being glorified and like australian like pacific region or like chinese contenders slash like south american contenders and a little bit of eu like you guys have little to no resources you know like the spotlight isn't given to you because like I ha I hate to say it, but we like NA region have the most Korean players. Like no one can deny that. Like any other regions like don't really carry the Korean players except for that one European team. Yeah. 
that had a uh, dance, but yeah. that, yeah, but NA has, you know, most Korean players, and I hear, I hear a lot of European players being like, oh, it's because NA has the resources to like import Korean players. I mean, that is true. We do have like established organizations that can pay for these high profile Korean mm-hmm. players. And it's so sad because in my opinion, like Europe, Europe and like any other regions have as much talent as NA, but it's just, you guys don't get the spotlight. In my opinion, Europe has so many undiscovered talents that Overwatch League is just refusing to look at because their excuse is, we don't want to deal with the visa process. You know, like, it, oh, it takes a lot of money. So, like, why do we bother looking at Europe, any other region, when we can, like, we're guaranteed that Korean players are better. Like, they don't even bother to look and seek for talent. Mm-hmm. They just, like, look at Korean and, like, NA players, and they're like, oh, it's easier. NA players, they don't even need visa. They're already uh, American. So mm-hmm. that's that's where, like, the whole region separation play. And I think it's just, like, it's not so much of our fault. It's our, I don't want to get banned for this, but like Blizzard's fault. Like, you know, I mean, you, you cannot yeah. say something if you feel like that. I mean, it doesn't have, it's, 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 you know, you're, you're making a comment that you like want to prove. Yeah. yeah like, sorry. I just been thinking about this for a very long time. It's just like, I wish tier two scene was more taken care of and like had the amount of resources to make it more refined, you know, then we would have a huge player pool, you know, instead of just all these regions shit talking each other for no reason at the time and being like, oh yeah, South America would never have a chance or whatever. Like, I think it's just like sad to see because. I think it's with, with the other regions, I don't actually think it's a question of if they're going to grow. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. a question of when. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I guess you can say it's, Blizzard's fault, but uh, here's the thing. So, um, most other esports scenes are usually like a little bit more localized because they grow organic. So, mm-hmm. the scenes can grow at their own pace on their own. Um, Overwatch is different because of the Overwatch League. The Overwatch League and its growth kind of decides how fast the scene I, I, in, in general can grow, right? So, they kind of just jumpstart an A because uh, Blizzard is an American company, of course, they're going to start in an A. Um, and, you know, they said that they want to make the league international. And, like, that just kind of takes time, right? Because if you want to invest, uh, if you want to convince international investors to get a franchise in your mostly American sport as of now, uh, you need to kind of have a foundation that you can use to convince them. Um, and I'm sure there are, like, a lot of legal reasons, financial reasons, etc., why they're focusing on mostly, like, an A team <coughs> right now over Quadri. So, I think, so yes, with the recent Canada versus Australia show match, I think we can see that, yes, the regions that people tend to meme on are decent. They have, like, decent players, at least, like, from a mechanical standpoint. Um, But it's, and, like, yes, of course, you know, regions like South America, it would be great. They had a land, like, the the audience, like, some people honestly don't even realize, but the the, the viewership Mm -hmm. amounts that, like, South American, like, contenders would get is, is... insane mm-hmm. exactly right and 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 blizzard like they're not they they know that i'm pretty sure that they know that but 
right now, when they, they, they're making all of these partnership deals, while we're recording this just recently, they announced like some partnership deal with Twitter, partnering with like, uh, like the, the whole Amazon stuff, like Twitch and everything, right? They have all of these partnerships. And in order to appeal to like American companies for a partnership, the majority of your business enterprise and uh, sports league needs to be located in the United States, right? Um, like for, for Twitch, uh, American viewers are going to be like the most valuable, at least as of now, because like they want to dominate the, the, the national market first. And going international is like a very big thing. Like having like uh, something like this, like even span through two continents, like EU and NA, if we just disregard like the, the other continents for now, that already is like a huge endeavor. So I am very certain that we are going to get more love for the other regions soon. It is really just a question of time. And when we compare the scene in Overwatch for Overwatch League to what happened when Overwatch League came in, there's like a very, very large difference. Whereas when things like the NALCS came in, like it, it was like very, very small and it kind of gradually grew, whereas the, uh, grew, whereas the Overwatch League just bam, you know, we're investing 30 yeah. million in a franchise slot and like it just blows up. Like mm. I, you, you can't do that with all of the regions at once, right? Um, so I think it's like a necessary evil <clears throat> for now. I mean, I don't like it, but I'm pretty sure Blizzard doesn't like it anyways, but I think they know like, you know, tough shit. We kind of just have to do it this way, like, I think it's just like how unprepared Blizzard was, like in the sense, like like you said, they jumped a like it. You're phrasing it like it's the necessary evil, but I guess I'm taking it into a more emotional side of this. Like, just imagine like all these players and coaching staff and like any managers and just like staff members, like you know, livelihoods and just like feelings. Like they're just completely getting disregarded and like. They're getting no spotlight, and it's just like, oh, casualties are needed in the process of growth. But if they had taken more preparation and more thoughts into development, and I don't know, just like thought this through more thoroughly, I feel like it would have been handled a lot better. And just the fact that, like, if you look at Korea, like Korean contenders, it's like a whole different like venue almost like because if we look at like Apex, it was handled by OGN who had been handling like esports venues for a very long time, and Blizzard like hired them to do that or like OGN like proposed to do Apex and like did all these like amazing productions, but like we don't even see that in NA. We get the whole like you know joke NA production. I feel like if that, that, huh, yeah, okay, that, 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 that's fair. Yes, I mean, looking yeah. at the World Cup and like even the recent like fan festival, the English broadcast. Yes, okay, I can admit maybe that's like maybe that can be improved. Um, so I guess I'm 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 kind of torn. I think um, Blizzard might be getting a little more shit than they deserve. But also some of the shit that they're getting might be like in certain ways, like with the production, for example, deserve. Um, yeah, it's kind of a hard topic to to talk yeah. about because there are so many. But well, I like definitely and, agree yeah, with you too. It's it's yeah. like it's like talking about game balance, or you know, everyone's like, you know, let me take over the game balance team. I'm gonna fix Overwatch. Um, but like we all know that's <laughs> not gonna work, right? Um, and it's kind of the same thing here, right? So 
you know, I, I can come up with all of these great solutions, you know, give South America land, you know, uh, you, you know, use all of the money you make with Overwatch League, uh, you know, sell contender skins and use the money to increase the price. Like there are all of these like ideas, I guess. Um, but, but the problem is, I, I don't know how to, how to like have like a business at that scale or even like, I don't know. I'm not a yeah. producer. I'm not a, I have no idea. Right. Yeah. Um, so like from, from my perspective, yes. And the reason why I have this stance and I guess why I'm kind of defending Blizzard a little here is because, uh, when I was growing, like, I guess my own YouTube channel and like my own discord community and everything, like people were messaging me with like ideas that from their perspective sound really like, Hey, you know, you should add a channel on the discord for this, or, Hey, can you make a, can you make a video about this? Or can you change this about your videos? And you're like, you know, yeah, those are really cool ideas, but like, you know, if I would make this change to my videos, then they would take like two hours longer to edit, right? Like one person said that I should edit out like the, the like speech breaks, right? Like that, which is what a lot of vloggers do, right? But like they don't realize it takes a very long amount of time to go through the entire video and like cut out every single, you know, moment where you take a breath, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it's kind of the same thing. So sure, we think, you know, add skins, sell them, and then add them to the price pool. But maybe there's like a huge, like, they're like financial documents that need to be signed. Uh, distributing something like this globally is probably also problematic. Um, so I, I think there's like a bit more to it. Again, I don't know. For all I know, Blizzard just doesn't want to, right? But it could also be that Blizzard really wants to. They just can't, or they don't think it's feasible as of now, and they're like planning on doing it. Which which brings us to like if we talk about the contenders, you know, the payments as well. And like, you know, when, when I went through the visa process, for example, I thought like. And a visa for easy clap. Like you just go there, talk to someone, they give you a visa in a few days. But then I need to wait like what ninety days until they like approve my petition, right? And they're like all of these, all of these forms, and I have no idea why I'm signing all of this garbage. Um, and I'm just worried that like the same sort of stuff is also you know stuff that Blizzard needs to go through. And like they are doing all of these th things, and I, I can imagine that it's very frustrating because we keep saying South American land, add you know more franchises, all of this stuff, and like who knows maybe they are already on it maybe they're already like starting the, the process to do these things but then negotiations take take a month and then like finding the right broadcasting talent maybe that mm -hmm. takes like two months of trials right so for all we know like they already have an, a south american broadcasting plan but it just won't be ready until like three months from now something like that. but yeah I, I, like that's... you were comparing you were comparing other esports and how like they approach internationality with mm -hmm. Overwatch, and I feel like the franchise system is also something that kind of hurts these like little regions because like, right now the Overwatch League is pretty much the biggest thing, and contenders is like, let's let's be real, it's like two percent of what Overwatch League is right now. The thing is, if I compare it to like well, my past experiences with Dota, Dota started off exactly the same. For the first two three years, there's just been like NA, EU, and China, which are like the big Regions and everyone else, like no one really, no one did anything. There were like tournaments, but no one watched them. They were they were just like privately financed stuff. And at some point, they introduced this major minor system. I'm not sure if you guys know that. It's basically just like you have a lot of tournaments through the whole year, and you gain points. And if you have the most points, you go to the international. And Blizzard said, okay, we want to support the regions. So basically, if you if you are a major, if you're a minor, you have to make sure that at least one team. From every region comes. So we have like SEA region, we have like South America, etc. you know what I mean. So basically there always has to be one representative from every region. 
at first, everyone was just like, why? why? The, the South American teams are so much worse than NA. Like, why, why do we want to have them there? It's just like going to lower the quality. And for like half a year or one year, it was, it, it was like that. The teams just sucked. They had no chance against all the other teams. But at some point, right now, all these South American teams, all these SCA teams, like, I think there's been three SCA teams who've been keeping up with everyone else. There's been one SA team full of Brazilians who've been keeping up with everyone. It's just like, within one year, these players with just this little chance have been rising so much through the esports, where I feel like they've shown that to give them the initial like chance, they're going to prove themselves. But with the franchise, I, I, I generally don't see like a SA region joining Overwatch League soon. I don't see any SEA region, Australian region, anything joining the Overwatch League soon. If you just look at everything, like the teams that are planned, even if the, the, the teams that are planned are like not set yet, we have like two teams announced, and they should actually announce two teams soon. No one knows which regions, but it's probably going to be one EU, one NA or something, or Canada when I say NA. Um, so I, I just don't feel like it's going to happen within the next two years. And if they don't actually improve contenders to be to be like the to be the real tier two scene that it deserves to be, these teams are going to suffer even more than EU and NA. Because right now I just don't feel like oh, do Overwatch League teams even watch? Any of those, like, do they even respect Australia or something? Do they? I'm, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. I think one thing you're missing regarding the franchises, um, whether something like Australia gets a franchise doesn't depend on an Australian investor actually investing, right? So with the London Spitfire, nobody from London is, like, investing into that, right? Like, Cloud9 is taking care of that. So I think that... Um, the problem isn't that those regions don't have funds and investors that are willing to invest in Overwatch League. I just think that the investors in North America that are looking for places, you know, localize their franchises in, um, they just don't, maybe they don't see like the market in those in those regions. So the issue with Australia isn't that there's no investors. Maybe they just think that growing like a fan base there isn't going to work. And that's just an example, right? Like, again, like it's really a lot about time. Because I think, like in like again, like if we take the South America example, I think South America, um, even if they don't have like an investor that's the Overwatch League, maybe a, a, an investor from an A is going to see, oh, okay, you know, like look at how many viewers South America is getting. Like, I really think we can build a fan base there. They're going to invest into that. Um, so yeah, that's like I guess like my point of view on it. It's less about the money. It's more about is that like a good investment? Is that like, are there going to be viewers? Are we going to be able to... If you are base? a Blizzard employee watching this right now, I can tell you, <laughs> if you think there's no esports fans in those regions, you're absolutely wrong. And there's you can't just look at any other esport, and I can tell you, you're wrong. I mean, there's a lot of esports fans. What they are yeah. trying Sorry. to create here is a league that will go on for years. So it's not... I appreciate them taking on the challenge and being like an innovator in esports. And I don't even think it's personally, like, obviously it's frustrating for me as well. I'm working eight to nine hours before I'm coaching, four to six hours, so I'm working, like, 14 hours a day right now. But I'm fine mm -hmm. with that as long as every region would kind of be seen as an equal. And I think the first step would be for Overwatch League teams to actually, like, recognize publicly the talent in other regions instead of putting them down. And there's been several comments yeah. from... Overwatch League coaches saying, haha, <coughs> European teams, they run tanks. It's like, they we don't have good coaches. The players are just used to playing tanks. And I think these comments, especially if they come like from the from the top of the top, 
are just hurting regions. And I, I don't think it's fair to dismiss whole regions when you could at least do the minimum amount of effort and praise some of the players, give them the spotlight. If you have the power of giving them the spotlight, if you see a talented Chinese player, give him the spotlight. If you see a talented Australian player, give him the spotlight. We've seen talent from all regions come into Overwatch League. So it's not like talent doesn't exist in these regions. They're just being like overlooked kind of. And that's like yeah. the only thing that's frustrating. Obviously the infrastructure is shit as well for us right now in Europe, but that's going to change. That's not going to stay like that for another year or two years. It's going to change eventually. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I love World Cup, because even if the, if the even, even if you look at the venue and everything, it looks shit. I still feel like I was so happy when I'm looking at Reddit and there was like, they're not talking about the obvious players. They're like, oh my God, Tayo from Japan and stuff. He's been so amazing. They've been, so, they've been playing so amazing. I, I, I'm happy about that because I know these players, they're getting the recognition they deserve. They're not talking about the South Korean thing as much as they're talking about the other. And that's why I think the Watch World Cup is actually the best thing right now to help every region. And that's why I hope they keep doing this. They keep uh, improving it in a way. Yeah, you know how like tier two seeing that Twitter handle is past pro. Like in Half this condition, it's just stay in tier two. Like. Yeah. Go nowhere. It's not path to pro. Like, that's all I just want to, like, wrap it up. Like, my opinion. Like, if you're going to name something, like, I know, like, I agree with a lot of things that, like, Iostuck said. Like, there are so many, like, business uh, aspects of these huge companies and investors that, like, we, like, fail to take into consideration. And, like, we're just, like, to them, we may seem like we're just whining and just complaining about, things that they're already working at. But in my eyes, there's a difference between changing something drastic mid project and refining and taking feedbacks as long, like as you're going and developing something. But in my eyes, just like Overwatch, Blizzard just took Overwatch and was like, oh, it blew up. Let's blow it up even larger, even before they had an infrastructure or had a a defined box for tier one, tier two, open divisions, trials, whatever. And they just like threw it at us. And then we are saying all these feedbacks and they should at least be open to our feedbacks and not be like, we're working on it. Shut up. Like we're working on it. You know? Yeah. I think and, like, it's just a lacking communication. Like at least acknowledge mm -hmm. what we're saying. Like in Europe, we kind of accepted it by now. It's like, that's not going to change no matter how much you cry about it. That's just going to mm -hmm. stay the way for now. But at least give us the acknowledgement of, hey, we're aware of the problems yeah. you have as a region. We're working on it. We, we can't mm -hmm. give you a time frame because may maybe they have like business decisions, decisions to make, but at least uh -huh. like acknowledge it. Like communication That's very is interesting, pretty... actually, because mm -hmm. um, when I played WoW a lot during a time nobody likes talking about, uh, there are lots of drain war. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> a lot of people had like similar uh, concerns about that game, um, where like, sure, Blizzard is fixing stuff, but like the main issue was a lack of, like Blizzard made choices that weren't that great, but like they weren't, they, they just weren't talking about it. So with the expansion afterwards, Legion, what they did is they made like very regular 
like Q and A sessions on Twitch with like one of the main game developers, and like that was praise. Like people loved it. Like so many people watched that. So many people asked their questions, and that was really great. So I think the issue that um, not even not even issue like that's harsh. I think the struggles that they're facing right now in Overwatch, um, or like that the community is really mad about. The community isn't like I think they they would. I mean, some people are stupid. They just don't know how the world works, and they think that like everything is super stupid. <laughs> um, but like, most people, I'd assume, are, are smart enough to realize that like yes, these issues fixing them time. Um, the issue is just that people don't know when it's going to happen, and when they don't know when it's going to happen, you know, it might as well never happen, right? They don't have anything to look to look forward to, right? Um, so uh, maybe that's something that Blizzard can look like talk have like a q a sessions uh, have like recently the, the, during the start of the game they made like so many like developer updates talking about all sorts of stuff even very minor things like balance um and now they're only really doing like when was the they did a dev update it's been like such a long while um and i i think having those and like just them saying like hey you know we're listening shut up let <laughs> us do our work i think that already is going to help out a lot so yes like i'm not saying blizzard you have a month go fix everything because that's yeah reasonable. um and i also don't want to say that blizzard doesn't know that these issues they right, do know um yeah. they, everyone they, they is telling them exactly like, <laughs> yeah. i i talked to like some people there after that uh, infamous reddit post like after, like they know about every they're they're not stupid they know um but with a with a large company like blizzard um you need to keep it it can be very like everything you're gonna be you're gonna say like every two sentences is gonna turn into a 10 minute style like people are gonna analyze the the crud out of it um so you need to be very very careful about what you say and if you make certain promises people are gonna hold you onto those promises and they're gonna be super disappointed if you hold those so i think that might be why they're why they're hesitating um but if if they would just say like hey you know the time frame is uh, you know, Q3 of 2019, uh, we want to have, you know, like expand the league and stuff uh, and do, do these and these things. Like just giving us kind of a time scale of like what their plans are. And I mean, like we can't force them. They don't owe us anything whatsoever. We are the people that like voluntarily decided we want to put all of our time into this game. We want to coach teams. We want to kind of get into esports, Overwatch esports as in Q. That's our choice. They, they, they can't, they didn't force it, right? So yeah. they don't owe us you know, regular regular updates. So I'm not demanding them to make updates. I'm just asking nicely, like, hey, you know, we're, we really, really like your game. We really, you know, we're putting a ton of time and effort into it. So in, in return, you know, if you ever feel like, you know, doing something nice or just like a nice, just giving us a, a regular update, like a small blue post on the forums, you know, some guy posting something on Reddit that we can kind of use just to like something that, you know, tells us, hey, you know, because a lot of people that I know, like they just straight up want to give up with Overwatch esports, right? And I think that's the main problem because they, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if you don't know when these changes come, they might as well never come. And it's very bad to plan your life around changes that aren't scheduled. But if they tell you, hey, if you're in EU, we want to have this many franchises at least by the year, you know, 2019 or 2020. Then you know that's like okay, I can I can my, my life around that, right? I can say until this time I'm going to keep grinding. Like there is a, a future, but for all we know, we don't even know if that like can work. Like a lot of people are, are skeptical, and they have like all all the right yeah. to be skeptical. So they make the sound choice of saying 
I'm sorry, this is way too much of a gamble for me. I don't know what's going on. Right now, this doesn't look like a great you know, I mean, use of my time. I'm, I'm going away. I'm kind of planning my retirement already if I'm not going to get paid at some point because uh, it's not exactly. feasible anymore. Uh, exactly. And I think like th 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 that's an issue because if you're not going to get paid, what guarantee do you have to get paid in the future? And again, Blizzard doesn't owe to, to pay us. No. Right? I'm not saying, hey, Blizzard, look, we're, we're grinding eight <laughs> hours a day. Can you please give me... No, of course not. However, I think it is in their best interest for the growth of the league and the contender scene to keep these dedicated players like I guess on board to kind of mm. tell them like, hey, yes, we know that you know stuff kind of tough, um, but like that's what we signed up for. What I want is I want to have at least like a glimmer of hope, like a, a feeling that stuff isn't always going to be this bad. And like, of course, it's not going to be this bad. Whether the Overwatch League is going right now, it's only going to get. At least in my opinion, it looks like it's only going to get better. But there's no guarantee. And if you know Blizzard would tell us like, hey, you know we have plans. This is kind of what we're looking for. Time frame like some communication then i would be willing to okay you know i'm going to invest a couple extra months than i originally intended yeah. to because now there's something to look forward to right yeah. um well so yeah i think yeah lizard needs to think of us almost as and by us i mean like contenders players uh, upcoming talent you know people that invest a lot of time into overwatch without getting paid think of us almost as like investors right where we also need to be convinced like you know is this a is this a smart is this a choice like we're throwing a lot of our lives away uh, like a, a huge chunks of our lives away in order to in order to pursue this tell us why you know why we should do that mm. right well, to kind of sum it yeah. up because we're already going towards the one and a half hour mark and we're just kind of done with topic three overall mm -hmm. better communication would probably help the longevity of like tier two and especially tier three scene who's like not getting any spotlight we're kind of getting open division trial streams and open division streams but yeah, like open communication yeah, streams kind of would work for us. So to kind of change the topic, maybe a little bit abruptly, but to kind of get back into the competitive things like contenders overall, I just want to talk about your transition from basically coaching open division teams to Excel to what are your tasks? How has, how has been working with the players so far? Um, It's different um for multiple reasons so the team house changes the atmosphere completely um obviously because you know you actually have like faces that you're talking to i mean i don't haha <laughs> but you know eventually there are going to be faces you can talk to um and like you're going to be living with them outside of the game as well so like your work life and your free time kind of overlap a little um which changes the team atmosphere um i think in a in a positive way at least if the like the if the if the life of the team outside of scrims is like good and positive because if they if they end up like becoming actual real life friends if they go out to universal studios and they have like outings and like cool events that they go to you know they can actually become friends they know each other personally so when you're in a room with them and you're scrimming and something goes wrong or someone is feeding i think it's a little harder to get mad at them because at that point he's not mm -hmm. just a prop yeah. up a screen he's like he's your like your actual colleague he's like your friend certainly mm -hmm. Um, so that's like I, I think the first difference. Um, the the second difference are the Korean players because they have like a very different work ethic. On the team I was on before, Flow, we had one Korean, a Funky Jaeger, who was a, uh, I guess similar to the Koreans on XL2, kind of not like in the same ballpark. Um, but you need to get used to that. Like from a language perspective, you need to know how to talk to them so that they like understand what you're saying. 
to you know so that they don't zone out during reviews because they don't understand a word um and like their 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 mindset as well you know, how they interpret the meta what they think about the game because they're like there are going to be a lot more disagreements because people at, at this level of play they have they have they're confident in their ability and like their their knowledge about the game mm-hmm. so if they disagree with something they're going to be like vocal about that right they're, they're they're going to say like i think this character is trash here even though someone else on the team might say i disagree i think this character is really mm-hmm. good right and so I, as a coach you don't really have to deal with that, with that like in lower ratings but in lower <laughs> levels people are like just trust my team right he's he plays that role he knows the stuff i'm gonna trust the coach um whereas with xl2 it's a bit harder to uh be confident and like earn the respect of the players um although obviously not impossible it's just like again the next step and i can only imagine that like going into the overwatch league that's gonna make stuff even more i guess hectic and uh, like there's going to be some some added um so yeah i would say like the difference between xl2 and like open teams is very very large like it feels like a completely different thing like a completely different job to be honest um but it's not like you get used to it definitely and i think have, i got used to it have you ever had a disagreement with your players like you you tell them like i think you should have done this and he's telling like no 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 i actually i think this was right did you have a ever have a situation like this and how do you even handle that as coach they like disrespect your Those opinion situations do come up um it depends so when a player disagrees i ask them why they think that and they can kind of explain why they think differently um if i don't think their argument is like very sound i just tell them okay nice but we're, we're gonna try it my way right so I, i suggest a certain comp and he says i kind of want to switch this character for that character because of those reasons then i can go you know that's true but then this is going to bring up these issues and like they're like this discussions usually happen um very rarely are there situations where um we disagree on something and we decide to you know do it we usually spend a lot of time talking and getting everyone on the same page before we try something. Because when you're coaching a team and you want to try a certain strat, but three people on the team think this strat is super, super garbage, then you're not going to get an accurate representation of how good that strat actually is. Because those three players, they're not feeling it, they're not into it, they're not giving it their all, and that's going to misrepresent the composition. But if everyone is on board, everyone trusts mm-hmm. you, everyone is on, on the same page, and you, you try a comp then, you get a much better feeling. And I think, again... Um, you know, it's it's with any comp, to be honest. If uh, like it was with 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 um, I don't know, like with with Doomfist, for example. Um, you know, some people, you know, with the newest patch, he got buffed like very heavily. To be honest, some people didn't want to try him. They thought it was a risky pick, right? Like Doomfist has been kind of known as that she's character. Um, but then you kind of talk about it and you just try it, and it's very important that you convince the team because Doomfist is a kind of character where. If the team isn't confident in the Doomfist, if they don't know how to play around the Doomfist level of aggression and burst, all of that stuff, you can't properly play Doomfist. Like the team really, really, really needs to be on the same page, especially with uh, dive compositions around. If you play like Winston, Diva, Doomfist, and then a couple of other characters, if your team doesn't want to play Doomfist, then you're going to look really, really bad on Doom. Um, which again is just just one example so yeah i guess overall uh players do disagree um which is a good thing uh you just have to like talk it out and get everyone else yeah i think that's kind of also uh again difference in mindset higher tier level players they just challenge you more which makes you improve as a coach way more as well because you kind of have to 
explain your points a little more in depth instead of lower tier players or like new rookie players in contenders they just kind of they swallow everything down you tell them like they don't question you at all they don't tell you their opinion about their role they don't tell explain your P their pov of their role because for me as a coach from a third person perspective i'm not gonna understand the role as well as the player playing the role would so having these players challenge you is good i think you just have to make sure that in the end of the day you are the coach making the decision and they respect that I agree. Actually, a question to promise. I'm sorry, like coaching. Like we've been co talk to, uh, talking about all these very professional players who've been in the scene for a long time. But let's ask you. You have been having these players that are not as experienced. They're like partly new players. They haven't been into esports too much. They've mostly been playing maybe ranked or something, or are pretty new to esports. How do you feel as a coach working with people who might be inexperienced? Do you feel like they still try to? Do their own stuff do they not respect because in my team we actually had that issue like our coaches had issues with our newer players mm -hmm. to engage because they just when when we had these coaches that have been like really straightforward like telling them dude that's wrong they've been like you don't tell me what i do i'm the player who the fuck are you? i'm sorry but who, who are you to actually <laughs> tell me what to do you know and so usually the issue like you have to respect the coach and they just mm -hmm. simply did it was an issue for us how do you deal with something like that so i mean such players something like that never comes up in my teams i have like a very authoritative coaching style which is why i gave iostax advice as well like how to be confident and actually like talk to players in a way where they depending on the player personality they will still try to disagree and they will still like try to push their point forward but in the end at least in young and beautiful in season one and two in contenders they brought up their concerns, they told me what they think, and I respect that and take that in as feedback, and every coach should. You should never dismiss your players. But in the end of the day, if I told them, you play Reinhardt on the map, you play Diva on the map, they would play that without question. And that's up to the coach to establish that early. I've been trialing with a lot of teams recently, and I've, I've seen teams that were like completely player-run, where I would come in, and I would actually need to basically very rudely tell them to shut up in between maps because i'm talking first i'm going first i'm gonna explain what i think and then every player is welcome to give their thoughts but there's like no clear kind of authority figure in a lot of teams especially in the lower levels i don't think that's the case for overwatch league teams at all where a lot of these head coaches just kind of they play along the rules of the players but the players should play along your rules that you're making so I've worked with a lot of inexperienced players, which makes it a lot easier because they come into your team. They don't know any other coach. They don't know how other coaches function. So they only learn your way of working and they just respect that instantly. So when I join and try with teams that have had their own structure and their own way of doing things, it's a little bit more painful and a longer process of changing a player from, hey, I'm talking first after all and I'm going to tell my support player, he fed his ass off on X map to getting him to shut up and listen first and bring his feedback along the way, like respectfully. But that's like up to the coach and the coaching style that you have to get the authority. So if you are telling, you're telling me that your coaches had problems with that, that's their fault. Like they messed up. It's not the player's fault. Obviously they shouldn't have that behavior, but if they even get away with that behavior, it's the coach's fault. Like, there's no other explanation for that, pretty much. Yeah. 
Um, unless RSX has something to add about this transition, I think you explain it pretty well. Now, I'm obviously interested in Wallace, your task in the team. You've started. Oh, <laughs> Wallace! Yikes! Uh, you started. I as got a... you. Thank you. We already know you actually wake up your players. Yeah. So you're obviously like the manager, or you started out as a translator, you transitioned into manager position and especially mm -hmm. a lot of these managers that just kind of handle the team online it's obviously very <laughs> different to a team house environment so what are your like daily tasks how is your schedule looking as a manager like what are your responsibilities day day in day out so i first i wake up like two hours before the players do and i just kind of give them time like so they can wake themselves up mm -hmm. <laughs> so and if they don't wake up before scrims i like to get them up all nice and be like hey we got a review in like 30 minutes and then everyone wakes up and we do bot review and that's when i do most talking i i translate what pajon our head coach uh wants the players to know on certain maps or certain compositions and then like the players want to bounce off ideas which is kind of hard because Pejon doesn't speak any english like oh, he okay. speaks like a little bit so i i am like kind of the wall of ideas that they can bounce off ideas and it's like i haven't really told anyone but i would really like an opportunity or like to learn how to coach and mm -hmm. become an assistant coach uh, later down the road. I think it's a really cool job just having all these players come together as a team. I would try to coach them to be a team and like just have them bounce off ideas at you while respecting you to a certain extent and knowing that you're a coach. I think that's just like a fantastic job. So I've been like doing my own little studying on coaching and so they bounce off ideas off me, bounce off ideas. I help them bounce off ideas on as well. And then I spectate scrims. So in between maps, if Pajon wants uh, to make a comment to them, then I tell them, uh, like, oh, this is what Pajon wants you guys to do here. So that's what I do. And after scrims, I usually talk to some of my players. If they're stressed out, if, didn't have a, if we didn't have a good day of scrims, I manage them to mm -hmm. stay you know in lane and make sure they it's not them it's just one day of just bad scrims like people are making mistakes team collectively making mistakes so it's not just them like being a bad all of a sudden becoming a bad player just like managing them mentally and i make them food and bring them snacks every now and then so basically they're a mom slash manager mm -hmm. and I think what you said and what Iostuck said about just being a little bit more stern and like asserting your authority to the players is really good, even for managers. Because when you're managing these players mentally, you talk to them about their issues, and then all of a sudden you're their friend, yeah, not their manager, and they forget the line of you know the, I am the authority figure in this relationship. And I think it's good for managers to always have that mindset of, oh, I can be your friend, but I'm also your manager. Mm -hmm. So you need to be respectful of my decisions. And when I tell you to do certain things, 
when I tell you to, to fill these like forms out or like when I tell you to like go to bed a certain hours, like you need to do that because I am your manager. Mm-hmm. And I struggled with that a lot, but with the open division teams, because I was a translator, but when you're translating between players, also become the manager, it's kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand. So like I struggle with that, but on Fusion Uni, I'm trying to work it out and like be a mm-hmm. better manager, better team mom. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned being friends. I think as a manager myself, I'm mm-hmm. managed to feel like that, that, that's the line where you have, like the line between a coach and a manager. As you mm-hmm. said, obviously the people have to respect you. Like they have to respect you, but something else that's important is that you have to kind of be the friend. That's like a lot of players have issues between themselves. Like they sometimes don't agree with each other, but they're afraid to sometimes tell each other because they feel like, okay, mm-hmm. it's just gonna be like he's gonna be mad at me or someone else is gonna be mad at me. Or I disagree with my coach and you can't be talking to a coach. This happens especially in teams that are not as experienced, especially mm-hmm. like my team. And I kind of ended up being more and more of I, like I think it's a term the life coach I'm not sure if that's a uh, use yeah but you know mm-hmm. it's like a thing where people come to you and I've, I've had that so often that in games people actually told me like right now I'm mad at this person I'm, I'm I, can't, I don't agree with what people are doing and I I force pauses sometimes I'm like I'm so we need we need a five minute pause because mm-hmm. I know these people have been telling me things so I pause this game and I'm talking to guys like guys you've been hitting me up with these issues but we need to talk about this together I feel like that's important as a manager. Like, as a coach, yeah. you need to be respected. People have to be like, I don't want to say afraid, but you know, the, 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 like, they have to. Kind of like a sense yeah. of fear, exactly. yeah. They can't just be like, you can't be a, the best friend. You're like trying to be, trying to be the dominant person. So basically, yeah. that's why I feel like as a manager, you also have to be a little bit this person that connects everyone, you know? Like, you're the person, if anyone has any kind of issue, you should be the one that they should, they talk that they can freely mm-hmm. talk to because in the end your influence into the game is limited so you don't have to be afraid of telling them things you know basically like yeah. you're just the guy that's mm-hmm. why i think managers like a lot of managers i see have been just people like i organize scrims and yeah i just like i tell the people to sign something i feel like that's that's not the role of a manager yeah, like yeah it, it is no. you do but there's so much more. It's like the connection between people. Like you, you that, That's the most important thing yeah. for, for a manager. You have to be social. I like that. That's like something I really want to emphasize to people who want to become a manager in this field. Is that like esports is a sport, in my opinion. Whether all these K Kona people are <laughs> like oh, sports have to involve a ball. Like it's like it's a sport. And it contains players that happen to be very, very young. Some players are very young. Like, who are you just turned 17 yesterday? And I know Danny's like 12. (laughs) 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 So, like, we work with all these, like, young players that haven't gone through, you know, the, like, the mix of emotions that we all went through, like, in high school, middle school. And it's really hard to just isolate that from the game what like during scrims because like they will get upset at like with just one little mistake and they'll throw the rest of the scrims and that's like the manager's job to like my, what Mojo said like life coach them and life manage them and be like you need to suck it up and play through the scrims like a professional 
professional gamer. You can't even talk, like, you can't even reach out to the coaches. So I think that's, like, a big thing I want to, like, emphasize to the people that are looking to manage all these teams with high profile or low profile or, like, an experience, experience, just players in general. Because they need care, like, they they need to be managed. So our job is kind of, like, we get the short end of the stick, Mojo. Like, we have to make sure the players earn fucking toxic <laughs> and tilted off the exactly. planet so the coaches can tell them what to do. Like, you you guys need to send love to your manager. You I guys. do. From time like, to time. <laughs> <laughs> from, from time, time to, time, to time, time every day <laughs> yeah so okay. that's like basically what i do on a daily basis and what i wanted to emphasize on what i do yeah you're the mom i think that's, that that's wraps, yeah. that wraps up the topic kind of well and leads us into the next one which is i don't want this to be like a, a super long rant because if you give advice mm -hmm. if you wanted to give advice to a newcomer in esports you could probably tell a hundred things that you learned along yeah. the way but i would actually like you to limit yourself to like one thing that you learned and you felt like hey if i knew that i probably would have made it earlier i mean you did it in like three or four <laughs> months so it's probably like a bad <laughs> question for you but yeah I, I for sure would have done things way differently when i would start mm -hmm. out again or could roll the time back a little bit i actually have a little story but that's mainly for players if you want to start as a player so let, let, let's roll back. Bazooka Puppies, at some point, we depart Tonic, so we needed a new main tank. So I had a list of people I wanted to trial, and one of them was Coldsteen. And a lot of people came to me like, yeah, Coldsteen, he's toxic. He's like, he at some point even left an official game and stuff. And like, I, I knew him as a player, but I didn't know him as a person. So basically, I got influenced. You know, like, I, it was influential. I, at this point, I thought, I don't want to trial him. But I still, at some point, just wrote him like, yo, you want to trial? And then he like started talking to me and told me like he wrote me a huge fucking essay about like yeah I want to go to Overwatch League and even if it's like we have two or three games left and stuff like I want to try my best and stuff and I, you know I I really felt that this guy wants to try despite what everyone else was telling me and then he came onto the team and I was so damn surprised that this guy was such a tryhard like he was trying hard he never tilted he never was toxic but mm -hmm. basically to like wrap up the story you need you need to be careful like i don't think this story about course happened because like someone just should talk to him I, th I think at some point he did something wrong but it was so influential that a lot of people started talking about him. so basically it, maybe any other team wouldn't have even trialed him because someone told the person or the manager like he's toxic so you're like no i don't want to try a call and that's just one mm -hmm. of the like if you're a player if it's in pops if it's in a team environment just if you're mm -hmm. mad, shut the fuck up. Don't be a toxic guy. <laughs> In the end, people are not going to trial you. People are will not want to play with you, even if you're the best, best player. People start talking mm -hmm. about you behind your back, telling like, this guy is toxic, this guy is slacking off, whatever. You're not going to get a chance. This is, my, mm -hmm. this is the thing. Like, this is the biggest thing you can do. Just be so nice that everyone wants to play with you. That's a good advice, because I've heard a lot of stories <laughs> and just shit talks between players they're like we don't even want to ring this person we don't even want to like trial them out like we don't even want to play with them in a scrimble like to that 
point. I think that's such a good advice. Like, yeah. reputation be, is everything. Be, yeah. Yeah. Be vocal, but like, don't be too like assertive to the point you're putting yourself on a pedestal and like being toxic. Like, oh, I'm the absolute best. Like, yeah, I think that's a good advice. That's good advice for players, but how about managers? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I like the biggest thing I want to like tell someone is getting into esports. Period. Whether you want you're like seeking a managerial position or like coaching, of course, coaching and playing, but like just being involved in esports, learn and study the game that you want to be, you know, successful in. Don't just go in because I watch all these like owl like translators slash like casters, no flame, but like <laughs> like you like you don't know anything game. You're literally just reading off script and you're literally just translating like verbatim, like word to word. Like you don't understand certain situations, like like tier two casters i think they're hilarious but like sometimes the things that they say i'm just like there's 30 seconds left till the door opens of course they're gonna troll and pick torb like that's not the real composition like yeah. you know like i know that they like try to be funny but like learn the game and like really study it play it like the good casters if you look at like i really like jaws i don't i don't know if Yeah. You guys have any opinion on? But he like you plays the game. The best. Yeah, <laughs> well, Korean casters. <laughs> I don't understand them, so I can't. <laughs> so like Jaws, I think he plays the game a lot, and like he's good at it. So like he is like abundant in like the game knowledge, and like certain managers that I talk to, like I can tell right away, like oh, you like you're not even like able to play comp because your character isn't even like level 25 and like to the person that's like, Oh, look at JBN. He's, he's the diamond. Like, see, like, so he, he like knows the game and he's able to like kind of relate to the players, like certain like frustration. So I think the biggest advice for that I can give is like learn and study the game that you want to be successful. That's like something very, like a bitter taste almost because coaches are getting hired mm -hmm. by managers. And if you talk to a, manager who has absolutely no clue about the game like i mm -hmm. i never know what i should tell them because no matter what you tell yeah. them about the game your coaching philosophy how you see the game they're not going to understand so they look more into these soft skills which is kind of the advice yeah. i would give any coach don't focus on your hard skills only like coaching actual coaching game knowledge working with players but actually look into ways how to properly present yourself to your future employer because there's a high chance he's not going to know mm -hmm. what Torbjorn is or who Anna is. <laughs> so you, you got to bring it down to a level where you can kind of meet up eye to eye level and he kind of knows you, gets to know you as a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess from my side, um, I mean, I think the first step and probably the most important one is to not be like Mojo and have like the fucking most scuffed headset ever. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. like knockoff right. razor. It's not, not a tip. Think... If you're mad, break your headset. Don't break your team. Christ. That's what I did. Anxiety. It's so asymmetrical. Okay, jokes aside, 
Um, I think the number one piece of advice that I don't want to name someone in specific. There are like certain coaches that are like, you know, that, that think that the only way to really get to a higher, you know, level team and like to really climb the ladder is by just very strictly following path to pro. Like you don't get into the Overwatch League by joining an open division team and like coaching that team all the way up to uh, like, did Wallace have an NYXL shirt? It looked oh. like it. Oh, okay. Maybe that's, that's like the know. prediction already she, coming. Uh, she, she's know, gonna okay. burn it in the end. Yeah. It's gonna be like. Nope. Well, anyways, um, so you, you don't go into open division and coach your team to contenders trials, and then you win contenders, and then your entire roster gets picked up by all. Not gonna happen. Doesn't yeah. work, work. You don't just stick with one team. If you want to get to a high level, and this applies to players, to to coaches, even to managers to a certain extent, don't just stick to one team, but try to figure out ways how you can show your skills. <laughs> To as many people as possible so for players for example even if you're already on a team you should still actively seek opportunities to ring for other teams because scrimming against another team isn't always like the best way to show them what you got because they can't listen to your communication and they might be salty mm -hmm. if you're too good but if you scrim with them and you're like really you lead that team and you show them what you've got those six seven players on the team are going to be like oh you know the guy that just rang for us you know, that's a name we should memorize. And you do that with multiple teams. Or when when I was coaching, one of the things I did before I joined XO2, when uh, GOATS, like the team GOATS, was coming up with the GOATS comp, the 3-3, um, I, I wrote like a little document about GOATS comp. Two pages, three, I don't know, whatever. Uh, on like how the comp works, how to beat it, what picks are good against it. And I sent that to every other team in Contenders Triads. And, you know, goats got fucked. Um, Literally and saying fuck goats. That's like, uh, and like that way, that, that is like a lot more <laughs> effective than just having your own team kind of beat them. This way you can be like, hey, you know, all, all of the seven teams that were in that tournament are like, you know, so this is, this is the kind of work that Iostax does, right? And like, mm -hmm. again, like, it's like a great way to get your name around. So yes, try to ring for as many teams, try to do kind of freelance work, offer some teams your your advice. Don't just stick to to, to to one team all of the time because that's how you can kind of get stuck in your own ecosystem and like how you can make sure that other people end up kind of forgetting about you because you're the coach that always worked with one team that's like somewhere in the in the middle of the pack. And teams aren't always equal in skill, right? Like you have the good players on a team and then you have like the, the kind of worst players uh, on a team. And if the good player only scrims with that team, he'll never really have an opportunity to like, actually show other teams like what he has to offer as a player in the complete package. But if he rings for other teams, all of a sudden his entire skill set as a player, he can show that to other teams and show them like, hey, you know, by the way, if you're ever making tryouts, still with that other team, but just in case I'm, I'm free. Yeah, so yeah. It's good to get your name out there. So that kind of wraps up the topic and gets us to a couple questions it's obviously not gonna be a lot since it's the first episode and it's mostly european contenders casters trolling us a little bit but <laughs> trit i'm asked, actually curious yeah yeah trit asked okay. who's one of the european contenders casters if papa jeff gave you full control over their reworks how would you make symmetra and tobio and viable heroes while maintaining their respective themes of the heroes that's a really difficult question honestly 
What do you mean they're not viable? Did you not see us at our same play on Jib? We played Torb. We played Smetra, right? Never forget. We played Torbian as well on Jib. But it's... Yeah, Torb is great. Highest win rate Smetra team right here. I think just base... Made it possible. Gotta get good. It's not the character's fault, it's your fault. What's important about these characters is that I think Blizzard is trying way too hard to make them standard picks instead of being the cheese picks that they are. I think they, they, the approach is wrong. Like They're trying to make Symmetra or Torbjorn something that can be picked every game because there's OTPs who keep playing them, like one-tricking. But that's not the concept of them. They're, the concept from them is be situational heroes. You know, like Torbjorn, you have like a, a defensive hero maybe on the first point or something set up, try to defend the turret. As soon as the turret goes down, you switch because you cannot build it up again. So I feel like however they want to rework it, they shouldn't be focusing on trying to make them viable always. They should be trying to make them viable for those certain cheese situations where you can pull them off. I don't really have an idea because I'm not like I, I'm not a professional, but I think that's something that they need to keep in their mind. And they also need to tell this to the players. They keep telling the players to everything is viable. No, these two heroes are not viable all the time. They are cheese heroes and they're viable in certain situations. I think it's very interesting, the question. <clears throat> Because he implies that Sumetra in of herself isn't strong, but I kind of disagree with that. The reason we haven't seen Sumetra so far is because when the patch is so fresh, I guess, yeah. um, teams don't have time to prepare. And if we... Strats built around Sumetra need a lot of preparation. Like, I'm talking multiple pages of just teleporter location and all of the stuff you can do with charge mm -hmm. and diva bombs and turrets and earth shatter and ana nades and all of that stuff. Um, I wouldn't say that Ana isn't viable. I really think that uh, not Ana, um, Symmetra. It's Symmetra. just that teams haven't really had the time Figured to work it with it. And I honestly think she's a strong character. I, I think if we give her time, I, I think the worst thing that Blizzard can do right now is is change her. Like, I think she's fine as she is right now. Uh, it just takes time for teams to kind of be have the courage to just go for it. Like Zrow. You know, that's like a map where uh, Symmetra is probably like she has some really cool rotations, or even Numbani, even though it's not in the in the in the map right now. I'm sure that you know people can figure out stuff there. It's just that most people are want to play it safe. Um, Torb, on the other hand, I feel like with Torb, he's he can suck it. Um, I think they need to take some um, of his. Yeah, screw Torb. I don't <laughs> Mangachu already is like playing him and like I don't want to feed his like I feel like an enabler at that point. I think he's like had enough Torb. If you give him too much Torb, he's gonna get hard to control. Torbed out. Exactly. He's gonna get Torbed out. Um, yeah. Okay, sure. but again, it's it's. I think his they need to move. It's weird because I think in order to make him viable, they need to move away strength from his turret and kind of move it more to his main weapon. I think what Torb's niche really should be is to be able to control two attack angles at the same time. And I feel like the power balance between his turret and his, I guess, like, own damage output isn't quite there yet. And his turret is, like, his turret is a little bit too easy to ignore um, while his, his you know, his, his left click can be, like, kind of hard to hit and is, like, very inconsistent. And his right click is, you know, at a weird range. Um, I think if I could suggest one change, it's to... I guess give him a workout or something, like uh, thin him up a little, because his hitbox right now is ludicrous. Like it's so easy to burst a, a torp down. 
If you're gonna make Torb's hitbox smaller, we need to make Widow's Torb size. If they're not gonna be, do yeah. anything about grapple, like make Widow fat, please. I think that's, like, <laughs> I think that's like actually. I think you can actually balance like the entire oh. game only by using the character's weight. Honestly, like if the character is Mercy. super OP, you just make them fatter. Like imagine oh, Mercy yeah. just. Why? Why don't you just click heads? Like I don't. I don't. Even Baby Diva, make her massive. Make her like. Yeah, like, yeah, like don't nerf the damage of her gun or like decrease the ultra. Yeah. But if, if you make fat. Baby Diva fat, then you have to make the mech even more no, fat. No, 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 no. You can like, do you know? Yeah, yeah. You can. It's like Baymax. You just question. Just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the main problem yeah. with a lot of these heroes is that all the meta heroes they are like multi-dimensional like usable on multiple maps <laughs> multiple locations they have like m more than one usage and all these niche heroes like Symmetra and Torbjorn they're viable on this one point this one location this one specific rotation which makes them seem unviable but they just enable a certain strategy which I think is fine like you're not gonna get a tracer you can't make every hero a tracer that is like playable on every single map you can play on almost I every feel map like I feel like if anyone were like to play Symmetra and Torb, like just those cheesy characters, it should be like the pro players because Sim, Torb, they require so much teamwork. Like the team actually just have to work around them. And like if you look at Symmetra, like as he mentioned with teleporters, like you can dive with Sims teleporters and like that just requires a lot of teamwork. And I think if the pro players start to play a lot of these like troll picks, I think, I think they'll make more appearances in comp games and be like, Hey, look, pro, pro players play this. So okay. why not we We'd try just, it? We reached the two hour mark now. So I'm just going to go over the questions a little bit quicker. Desert two okay. also contenders, European caster. Ask why is Promise so scary? I honestly don't think I'm scary. I just, I don't know. I have a very authoritative. Uh, a, you're German. I'm very German, so I just have a very authoritative <laughs> coaching style, which I'm maybe I'm scary because of that, but I prefer it that way and it works for me. And then why is Iostuck's ice cold? He asks. That's how you make. That's how you make the big bucks. That's how you make the big bucks. Yeah, you need to be. You need to be sitting on his IKEA chair. I make big bucks. Then how lucky is Lucky Mojo? How lucky are you? I'm. It's actually a meme. My name, like people who know me longer, they they just like they don't they call me unlucky Mojo. Like a lot of people call me that. I'm genuinely unlucky in every aspect of life. Feels bad. So you're lucky. Then we have. Twist Overwatch asking, what is one thing each of you would do to improve the tier 2 scene? We kind of talked about it already with the communication, mm -hmm. a little bit like money-wise, yeah. structure-wise. I think we went over that. I want more player interviews. We got that player in Europe. We, we have that in Europe. Yes. Don't we have that in it? No. no. You know, yeah. Alarm got the MVP of Season 1 of Contenders. He didn't even get an interview. We didn't even get a trophy. Yeah, like, yeah. Stop Blizzard. 
I don't know. Give me an NA scuffed. You you is just the best. See, like you always whining that their scene is garbage. They have interviewed play interviews. Well, there's a couple questions from Nick D, who's asking, "What is the goal of the podcast?" I mean, that's pretty clear. We're trying to give like a behind-the-scenes view of contenders teams right now, or even our teams if if we get someone from our on here. But that's probably gonna be a little bit difficult. Then what kind of target viewer do we have? It's kind of obvious. Anyone who's like interested in coming into the competitive scene of Overwatch, who's interested in behind the scenes of the teams, who wants to get to know coaches a little bit more, or managers, or even players, if we get some players on the show. Then what do you do or plan to do better than any other Overwatch podcast? He said, no shit talking other, player, other players and everyone else. I mean... We're more or less doing this for the kind of educational value, like so people know what we do instead of just mm -hmm. us being behind the players and just like, okay, I guess that guy is a good coach. Maybe he is a good coach. Maybe he's not a good, good coach. We wouldn't know since we don't know anything about the person. And then, something that people have to, I'm sorry, interrupting, but something that people have to understand, like the basis of why this podcast even started is because we, as managers, coaches, generally stuff, started discussing about all the topics that annoy us or like, it's just there. And at some point we just decided like, why are we like, it's not going to change anything if we talk to each other. I think like we need to make it a little bit public talking about all the things that we think. And that's basically mm -hmm. why this podcast is there. Like the hosts are manager coaches, the guests are manager coaches, eventually even players. So basically, it's just like a talk between people that are in the scene. Yeah. Then the last question was, what does what makes our podcast unique other than the personality of the host and the guests? I mean, it's kind of obvious. You're not gonna get an in-depth view of behind the scenes from any other podcast unless you get the guests and the host on the show that we have right now since we get people directly from the teams and we're not going to get a journalist who m might just talk about the sources he has we are talking from experience we've been on the path to pro or are on it right now so yeah that was pretty much all the questions and ladies and gentlemen we are on the grind yeah, we're on the grind, and we've on talked the grind. for over two hours now, so we're gonna wrap it I up. Have, I have one final question okay. uh, for our both finalists, obviously. Oh, no. I think I kind of already told you, you guys, I hope you're prepared, but give me one reason why I, why should our viewers cheer for Fusion University or for XL2, and why should we not cheer for XL2, and not why should we not cheer for Fusion University? Go. Well, uh, I think I can uh, start. Um, so you should cheer for XL2 because uh, we played Sim. It's <laughs> pretty much the only, I guess, reason I can give you. Thanks for we making like, our rank games cancer. Yeah, like we're we're <laughs> trying to, you know, we're we're trying to innovate the meta. You know, we're in all inclusive, right? You know, people like Fusion, they're like, eh, we're gonna run Sim. You know, we're too good for Sim. You know, screw that. We're running Sim. We own mm. super hard. Okay. Um, and the reason why you shouldn't cheer for Fusion um, is, okay, uh, let me say, you can cheer for them. Um, you're just going to regret it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, you know, I start to mention Sim, you know, well, we'll see when we full hold you on first point, Jib, with Torb, because Elk's Torb is Whoa. massive. 
Oh, and no. we're, you're going to see a lot of uh, Hammond, like you said, Beast was feeding. We'll, 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 t we'll, t we'll show you different. At least <laughs> we're going into the finals without the intention of abusing bugs. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about Winston bugs. Like, both of us, then we'll, let's just run quad. Okay. Yeah. Just Go the European run way. Quad. Both of us that would actually be fucking hilarious, dude. <laughs> and a contenders yeah. finals quoting mirror match for all maps. Imagine, uh, imagine having this discussion about the European finals. Like, we're gonna play so much better tanks than you. No, we're gonna play so much better tanks than you. Sorry. Just... Uh, uh, I wanted to say the reason fusion is because we are the season one champion and we. For you, who is uh, two seasons of Apex champion, mm -hmm. do you have that? I don't think so. Uh, we have Alarm. He just—he's a DPS character, and we have Zachary. He his hero is bigger than like your entire team combined. Oh. And Elk, he's massive at Torb and Lucio. Uh, Fernar and Beast—they're in They're pretty—they're like Al ready, pretty much. Both eighteen. And the reason why XL2, I just want to say, go ahead and cheer for XL2. You always got to root for the underdog. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Either way, before that, right, we are the underdog. And I think that yeah. is a pretty good reason to cheer for us, yes. Either way, mm -hmm. before we us. go into yeah. a rant between teams, we're just going to wrap it up. That was the grind for episode one. We've been talking to over two hours now. So it's mm -hmm. going to take a while to upload this. See you whenever we get to, to do the next episode of Thank you the for Grind. our guests as well. Thank you, Wallace. Thank you, Iostax, for being first guest on our show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for inviting us. God bless. God bless. See you guys. Bye. Bye.